Peter 4, verses 1 and 2. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Today as we celebrate this most important day in all of human history, this most important event, the death, the burial, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. We find our scripture text here in 1 Peter that God is addressing that very same event. Here he uses the words, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh. And folks, there's no coincidence that we would arrive at these words on this day. God does not allow coincidences. He's too meticulous for that. The gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ is just skillfully interwoven in one form or another into every book of this Bible. We might not recognize it so easily in some of them, but the gospel is in every part of these scriptures, and especially in the Old Testament. We can read first-hand accounts in the New Testament, but in the Old Testament, Jesus is spoken about in every one of the books and prophecies given about him that we see taking place both in his day when he was here on the earth and then even in our day now. And so it's no surprise that we would, on this day, in this ongoing study of 1 Peter, that we should come to these words, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. I would like to unfold the steps that brought the Lord Jesus to this point of his suffering in the flesh. And as we think about all that he endured, I want us to observe a miraculous power that's being revealed to us. A power that we sing about in the hymns, power in the blood. But I want us to be aware of this miraculous power that's being revealed Power like no other. A power that reaches from within Christ into every one of our souls. Enabling those of us who willingly choose to suffer with Him to experience a very special experience. An experience of freedom especially from sin. An experience that we ought to be able to consciously know about. A freedom that we have never had before. And I want to begin in the book of Luke. And it's just a short time before his crucifixion. Jesus and his disciples had set their course towards what would be his last trip to the city of Jerusalem. And as they journeyed on their way, Jesus began more and more to speak to his disciples about his soon coming sufferings. But strangely, as we shared in our Sunday school class, strangely, though his words were very clear and the disciples were obviously very intelligent men, they were still not able to comprehend his words. Listen to this. This is in Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 43. 
Jesus said to his disciples, Let these words sink into your ears. Now think about that. He's saying to them, Pay careful attention to what I'm saying to you. Let these words sink into your ears. That's not a modern day translation. It is in all the major translations. It says almost exactly the same words. Let these words sink into your ears. And then he goes on to say, The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. But listen, the next verse, verse 45. But they, the disciples, did not understand this saying. And it was concealed from them so that they might not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. And then in Luke 18, we shared this in Sunday school, verse 31. And taking the twelve, he, this is Jesus, said to them, See, we're going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. What is he talking about? Isaiah 53. Other, many other scriptures. Many other prophecies. He's saying, See, we're going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets, you've been studying them every time that you go into the synagogue, you've been studying these scriptures, everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For He will be delivered over to the Gentiles, and will be mocked, and shamefully treated, and spit upon, and after flogging Him, they will kill Him, and on the third day He will rise." But then the next verse, verse 34. But they, the disciples, understood none of these things. He was saying it, they were hearing it, but they understood none of those things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. Now again, these were very intelligent men. They weren't just illiterate fishermen. These were very intelligent men. But they could not understand Jesus' words. And I've asked myself, why? I am convinced that their lack of understanding was this purposeful provision of love and mercy and grace from God. In each of those passages that I just read, it said that understanding was withheld, concealed, hidden from the disciples. Intended only then to be revealed to their conscious mind later on, by the Holy Spirit. Had those men fully understood weeks or months or years, but especially in those few weeks before the crucifixion, had they understood what was going to take place with this miserable, wretched suffering that Jesus would have to endure, they might have tried, as Peter did, to keep Jesus from his appointed mission. I said to you earlier, I would have probably have done that. It would have been the wrong thing for me to do. These disciples would probably surely have mounted some sort of big defense. And so Jesus withheld their understanding from them. And I'm convinced that God often does that same sort of thing even with you and me. We don't realize it's taking place, but He does. Our minds are just too small too immature to handle some of the deeper, more difficult things that are yet to take place out there in the future. And were we to know about them ahead of time, 
we might take precautions that would stifle or even prevent God's righteous work from being worked out in us. And because of that, He mercifully guards our minds from knowing about those things ahead of time. But why then, if Jesus did not intend for the disciples to fully understand His words at the time that He gave them, why did He go ahead then and warn His disciples about His soon coming sufferings? I'm convinced, again, that it has to do with the prophetic nature of God. Jesus revealed the events ahead of time so that the disciples would have it recorded there in their minds. Though they did not understand it, they had it within their minds so that they could look back later and they could know with a certainty that all of the things that took place from the beginning were part of His divine plan, God's divine plan for the salvation of our souls. And not only that, they would then be able to link those events that had just taken place back even to other prophecies. As I mentioned a while ago, that which Isaiah prophesied about 700 years earlier, talking about the sufferings that took place. And that David spoke about in Psalm 22, speaking about these sufferings that were taking place as he cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That was written by King David hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years earlier. And the disciples had heard it so many times and suddenly it would all start to become clear to them. All of those things. Because He had told them ahead of time what would take place with Him. And then them being able to look back with the prophets. All of that would confirm to them that Jesus truly was the Messiah. The Savior. And again, God has certainly also done the same within me, within you. I can easily see from these words and from the prophecies given throughout the centuries before His birth, His death, His his burial, and His resurrection that Jesus was and truly is the Messiah, the only begotten of the Father, our Savior. I can tie those together. Old Testament prophecies to the accomplishment of them here in the New Testament. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, I can know that it's all real. So then, as Jesus entered into Jerusalem on this, His last step of His journey, the disciples in those first moments were not yet able to know for sure the things that were about to take place. It would only be in the days and weeks ahead. So when Peter and John went to prepare that Passover meal, they did the same thing that they had done probably often in years past. But they did not know that that Passover meal, the one that they were preparing, that it would become a special Passover, that Jesus Himself was going to become the Passover Lamb. They didn't know that. They'd be able to see it later. But Jesus was going to be the Passover lamb. And His blood was going to do so much more than the ones that, that the blood that was put above the doorposts in the days of Moses. This Passover lamb would save their souls eternally. Give them a freedom 
from sin. Take away all of their sin. And even more, this particular Passover lamb, the blood of this lamb would take away the sins of the whole world. Not just those within that house, as with Moses, but the sins of the whole world. Now again, as to their not knowing what was about to take place, I marvel at how wise God is. He knows what you and I are able to handle. He knows our level of maturity and understanding. And as a loving father, and he is our loving father, he only gives his beloved children what each can handle at any given moment. These sufferings in the flesh that Jesus endured in his last days, they were truly awful. They were truly awful. But when you think about it, his sufferings actually began much earlier than this. They began the moment that he stepped out of glory to become a man. Stepped out of that sinless condition into a world filled with sin. Listen to these words in Philippians 2, beginning in verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but listen, but made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. His suffering started long before the cross. Listen, Jesus, this holy, omnipotent God who reigns over all of creation, can you imagine Him giving up that majestic glory to come and suffer so that you and I could have life? Why would He do that? Do you deserve to have eternal life? You and I are wretched creatures. He did that because He loved us. Jesus suffered. And that's what this first part of this verse in our Scriptures tell us. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, He suffered from the first moment that He left His mother's womb right on up until these moments we're talking about here on the cross. He suffered physically. He suffered emotionally. He suffered spiritually. Recall when He was there on His knees in the Garden of Gethsemane, He was crying out to God and and. Uh, sweating great drops of blood. Here is the very God Himself occupying this human body. And the human body just could not stand the power that was taking place within Him. And so He's sweating these great drops of blood and crying out, Oh, if this cup can be passed from me. Oh, Father, please do it. Then as the soldiers came for Him and we see this prophecy that we just read about that He had given earlier in Luke 18. We see it actually taking place. For He will be delivered, He's talking about Himself, the Son of Man, will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging Him, they will kill Him. And on the third day, He will rise. Jesus suffered. He suffered from the first moment that He entered this life, but this this suffering here that started as they took Him from the garden and beat Him and then hung Him there on the cross, that was the worst of it. 
you and I will never be able to really comprehend that kind of suffering. We can try, but we really can't. Because as men, we, we do understand pain. As women, we understand pain. Men, especially in war, they suffer terribly. And their suffering is uniquely miserable to them. But I'm convinced that no suffering, no amount of our suffering can ever compare to the sufferings of Christ. And why would that be so? It's because the physical pain that we can identify with is only the surface misery of what Jesus was suffering. Beyond the physical suffering, deep within His spirit and His soul, Jesus took on a whole other different kind of suffering. As He hung there on the cross, all the sins of the world were poured out upon Him. Here this sinless person from all eternity past, all of the sins of the world, the the filth, everything was poured out. Not what had already been committed, but what would be committed by you and me. It was poured out upon Him. He who knew no sin, the Scriptures say, He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. He took upon Himself all of our sins, mine and yours, and every other person's sin. He took both the guilt, and I want to talk about this for a few moments. He took both the guilt and the power that they have over us. He took all of that away. Not only the sins, but the power of sin. That's the most important thing that will ever take place in a person's life. To have our sins atoned for and removed from us completely, both the penalty for our sins and even the record of them, that's what the word justification means, just as if we had never sinned. And as if that were not enough, Jesus also graciously removed that insidious power And the control that the sin nature has over us. He removed all of that. That insidious power. And it all had to do with His sufferings. There was a power. A power like no other power that we could ever imagine. That flowed out from His sufferings. Completely removing every vestige of sin from our souls. I thought, but what about the wretched sin that I still experience every day. If that power removed all of that from me, what about the wretched sin that I still experience every day? And the answer is, God reserves a part of this process to you and me, His beloved children. We are sons of God, and we've got to join with Him. And that's what He talks about in the second part of these words. He says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, now comes our part. Arm yourself with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. You and I are going to have to figure out what that first part of that verse means. And we're going to have to join him with the second part of this verse. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourself in the same way, you and me, we're to arm ourselves in the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. That's what you and I want to do. So that we'll no longer, as it says here, live for the rest of our lives for human passions, but instead for the will of God. That's the part that we spoke about in last week's message. That's the suffering that you and I will experience. The working out of our salvation with fear and trembling. 
But as we would usually do, because we are excuse makers, we say, oh, but I've been a Christian for so long, and I still keep falling on my, on my face. It reminds me of those words in Romans chapter 7, where Paul essentially said the same thing. Oh, I've been a Christian for so long, but I still keep falling flat of my face. How do I get past this wretchedness? And the answer to that cry, and it was given in Romans chapter 7, answer to every one of those cries is the first part of verse 1. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, you and I have to grab hold of this. Let it sink into our ears. Something miraculous that we will never quite comprehend, but it still did take place within Christ's sufferings. In His sufferings, He actually defeated the power of sin. When God raised Jesus from the dead, He was resurrected completely free from all those sins and the power of the sins that He had taken upon, upon Himself. God had poured out the sins of the world upon Him. And yet when He was raised from the dead, He was free. All of those sins were gone. And let me say to you, part of what He took upon Himself was the sin and the power of sin and the control of sin that once had possession over you, over me, personally. All that was done already. And so you and I, whether we can comprehend this or not, by surrendering our soul, our spirit over to Him, that transaction actually took place. And you and I are now without excuse. The power and the control of our sin nature has been removed from us. He has cast it all into the pit of hell. And it should no longer be allowed to plague us. Again, those words are so difficult. They're so difficult for me to comprehend. But they are real and they are true. And you and I have to live as if they are. You and I have to do as he says. Sure, I'm going to read these words in Romans chapter 6. But you and I actually have to join with him and become a part of his resurrection rising from our dead state of being into a brand new life, one that's completely freed from the power and the control of sin. May I read those words for us? Romans chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue to sin that grace may abound? Why do I keep doing what I do every day? I say that. Romans chapter 7, Paul says that. He says, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too, you and I, this transaction took place at that moment. You and I also were raised with Him for if we have been united with Him in His death, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. Verse 11, So you also must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Do you find yourself making an excuse and saying, Well, I've tried and I've tried and I've tried. You also must consider yourself dead to sin, alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body and make you obey its commands, its passions. He's saying to you and me, you 
by the power of my spirit, have the ability to say no to those passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourself to God. Don't open yourselves up. Don't watch that movie. Don't hang out with those people. Don't go to those places. Don't read those books. Don't open yourselves up, he says. Do not present yourselves, your members, to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are no longer under law but under grace. Folks, these words are filled with miraculous power. They have a whole multitude of truths all interwoven within them. And if we will only allow them to sink into our ears, the problem, though, with most of our understanding is all that's over in this mysterious spiritual area. We were talking about this in Sunday school again. How is it possible for me to do what he's saying here? For me to identify with Christ in his resurrection? Those are mysterious words, too mysterious. But you and I must begin to intentionally talk to God about believing them. That's what the word faith is all about. The word faith is defined as being the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Through the power of God, our faith will cause those things hoped for to actually become real. Absolutely real. We'll begin to believe them. We'll begin to live as if they're true. The sin nature that once controlled our personality, our behaviors, our thoughts, will no longer have power over us. We'll be able to flick them away just as Jesus did with Satan when he said, Get thee behind me, Satan. He flicked him away just like he was some miscellaneous fly. You and I, though, have to come to the understanding that it doesn't take place just because we walk an aisle and we pray the sinner's prayer. That's all part of it. But just doing that does not have that power within it. You and I have to go back and remind ourselves day after day that no amount of our wanting something is going to make it come true. You and I have to, in some way or another, connect ourselves with that power that comes only from the sufferings of Christ. Because that is what actually made all of this possible. And that's why we read that verse. There is no other name given under heaven by which you shall be saved. It's all within that mysterious power of His sufferings. Since then, therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Praise the Lord. Let's pray.